0: really begs the question of how are we viewing women's capacity to make their own choices? Why are we not giving them the full picture?
1: Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are, whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day live better start now hey everyone you're on air with ella and today we're talking about a very special topic that i've been asked about by a lot of you i would like to introduce you today to miss jane bennett she is not only a social worker and a researcher and a writer and an educator she is the author of a number of very well-known books and the one that we are talking about today is called the pill are you sure it's for you and this book is as you might have already deduced about birth control and today i'm speaking with jane about Birth control, about current and conventional methods, and about natural contraception. Again, this is something I've been asked for by quite a number of you, and I realize that this is not perfectly relevant to every single one of you out there. But for those of you who are women, who are mothers, who are daughters, who have sisters, (laughs) this information is going to, I think, be very, very eye-opening for you and the women that you care about. Jane Bennett, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you, Ella. It's really great to be here with you.
1: So where are we reaching you today?
0: Uh, I live in Australia, you might hear from my accent, and I'm in the countryside about an hour and a half drive north of Melbourne.
1: Jane, before we get into the content at hand, can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do?
0: Oh, thanks, Ella. Yes, I have uh, worked for decades, really, in uh, natural fertility management and menstrual cycle awareness. I had an experience when I was 26. I would had a fairly usual uh, journey through various forms of contraception, and then met a woman called Francesca Nash, and she had been she had brought together methods of fertility awareness that she called natural fertility management. Uh, so I went along to meet her um, and to have a session with her. With with my new boyfriend who was very supportive of us learning these methods and I learned to track my cycle by uh, temperature and checking mucus and charting that and I found within a short time I was really uh, uh, it was like an epiphany it's like it was like a window opened into myself my body uh my cycle my fertility that really i've been travelling on ever since and my uh my career has been uh, in that field uh teaching writing counseling uh ever since one way or another
1: well it's my understanding that you are an expert in working with people both in fertility and contraception that you can actually and and that makes sense to me jane that that you actually have to know, have the same set of skills to be able to speak to both. Is that fair?
0: Yes, that's that's right. And really, if we think about it, it's through our, for women, through our fertile years, it's like a continuum. For most of us, most of the time, we're more interested in contraception. And then there's some very specific and special times when we're really very keen to conceive and we become very interested in our, in our fertility. Understanding both gives us choice and a capacity to be uh, at our best health-wise and fertility-wise through that uh, through all those years.
1: Well, I wanted to bring you on the show today because I went looking, I mean I spent 2 months filtering through a number of resources and a number of different experts that I could bring on the show and I approached you Jane because of the book that you wrote with Alexandra Pope called The Pill which I mentioned before, The Pill, are you sure it's for you? And in reading your book what I was looking for is I was Looking for someone who could speak to the facts and not just terrify people about what their options are or um, just speak anecdotally. And I really was looking for someone who could say, listen, these are just the facts. Like take this information and use it as you see fit. And so I just want to thank you so much and and acknowledge you for that because you've done a really brilliant job of creating these resources, not just this book, Jane, but just all of the work that you do with your websites in the book and all of these resources that we'll share with the audience, of course, on the website uh, with this episode.
0: Mm, thank you so much. It's, um, it's my, it's my great pleasure to be able to get this information to women. And, uh, I really appreciate being able to speak with you about it today.
1: Well, let's talk about what we're actually talking about today. So we mentioned the pill, but really what we're talking about is all hormonal contraception. And can you explain what that means? Because I know that all hormonal contraception is really just a combination of certain types of synthetic
0: hormones. Uh, yes synthetic hormones and uh, when when the pill first arrived it was it was really just literally the pill and a pill and if you can sort of imagine yourself back in the 1960s when uh, suddenly there was a pill for contraception, and I like I, I sort of think of it a little bit like a, a Jetson esque, if you if you know, and if your listeners know the Jetsons, <laughs> it's kind of like this brave new world of a pill mm. will deal with your fertility, um, and it's really become an icon in a way since then, uh, in many ways. And uh, whereas now uh, the delivery of synthetic hormones happens in many many different ways, so uh, women can get. Uh, implants into their arm that, that slow release hormones. They can get a, a patch that they stick onto their arm uh, that, again, will release it for a shorter period of time, but they can reapply those. Uh, there's a vaginal ring that is uh, sits around the cervix but releases hormones. Uh, there are IUDs these days. Most IUDs these days release hormones. There's injections. Uh, I think I've got it. <laughs> I think that's it. And they're all
1: essentially representing hormonal contraception. It's just the delivery mechanism that might be different?
0: That's right. That's right. They really, they're really all releasing synthetic hormones, which, of course, aren't the same as our natural hormones that are produced in our bodies. And they don't happen in the same quantities um, and not in the same rhythm.
1: Okay. And they all effectively induce a state that's similar to pregnancy, right? So that you don't get pregnant. They all induce a state that's similar to pregnancy in your body. So in other words, in layman speak, our body thinks it's pregnant for that period of time. So we can't make babies.
0: That's right. And, okay. uh, and another way of looking at it is that they, they switch off our normal uh, fertility cycle.
1: Okay. And you say this a little bit more articulately than I did. And you said they alter your hormonal balance to make you temporarily infertile. And to do this, they act upon your endocrine system. Am I nailing it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That, that's
1: because I'm reading it. <laughs> so if I was wrong, something, something went terribly awry. Okay, very good. So I just wanted to sort of set the landscape and talk about what we were talking about. And today we're just going to share some of the information around what the pills effects are on our bodies and then talk about, so where do, what other options actually do exist for us? And it's so funny that you mentioned what happened in the sixties, because a lot of the cultural shift that happened in the 60s and in the 70s and the branding of the pill if you will is very much around today because the pill represents freedom and it represents spontaneity and it represents women taking control you know finally and all of these sorts of um, very positive emotions and very empowering emotions and how surprising and how utterly sort of gobsmacking it is to realize that we bought into that and never stopped and asked the question, well, what is it doing to us? Like at what cost?
0: Mm, absolutely, and it's really interesting. Uh, as I said before, you know, the pill has become, and and you expressed it so well, has become an icon. This this thing, uh, the pill has created this freedom. The pill. You often see, um, I often read copy that that will say things like, uh, you know, the pill was one of the greatest inventions of the twentieth century, and so on. And and I really don't want to uh, diminish the 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 incredible empowerment of women having so much more choice over their uh over their uh reproduction however um many other things were happening around the same time and when the when the pill was released in the united states that was it became available in 1960 in Australia and in the UK it was 1961 so around about the same time at that time it was only available to married women and through the 60s and 70s there was enormous uh, activism around making contraception of all kinds available to uh, women and young couples who weren't married so there was so we sort of skip over this fact, for for instance, uh, that it was really one of the big changes was the availability of contraception. The other change that the pill brought about, and there was some research that happened in Australia that found that uh, doctors before the pill, many were reluctant to offer contraception at all, either for ethical reasons or you know it, it was just something they didn't do. Whereas once the pill was released. Um, it they were much more prepared it was so much easier just to write a script it wasn't uh they didn't have to fit anything it wasn't messy uh they didn't have to do, you know it was a lot quicker for a start and so there seemed to be a, a much more willingness to prescribe the pill than to offer other forms of contraception the other interesting thing to note is that in western countries uh, middle-class married women were before the advent of the pill were already managing their fertility really very well um, and uh, by and large choosing when they had their children using other methods that were available at that time
1: i think this is an important part of the discussion because i had never thought about it before and That usually means that many of my people and many of my listeners, we're we're often like-minded, and a lot of them haven't thought of it this way before. I mean, it really does represent convenience and freedom, and it doesn't enter into so many people's minds what the consequences of that freedom may be. And again, I don't say that in a fear-mongering way. I say it in a, there are some questions that I would have asked that I never even dreamt of asking, and part of it is because of the way that this convenience and freedom was marketed to me, and I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and one of the trends that's happening in the marketing of pharmaceuticals is the marketing of the message that Periods are even almost bad for you. Like they're a terrible thing and they should be uh, minimized, even avoided, uh, certainly controlled and suppressed in some way. So so I actually think that's a little bit of a dangerous trend that that you and Alexandra delve into a little bit in the book. I think you call it menstrual suppression.
0: <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. And menstrual suppression is... I think is a, a modern version of our millennia old uh, sense of menstruation being a curse um, or being a, being some kind of evil. And it's really it's really interesting the times we're in right now because as you say, uh, there's an immense marketing around using uh, hormonal contraception to wipe out. Uh, the the menstrual cycle and, and menstruation uh, as as some kind of uh, negative as some kind of evil and it's really playing on these very very long term historic. Attitudes that we've had, cultural attitudes we've had around menstruation, uh, we're just starting to see. Excuse me, we're just starting to see much more pushback, uh, where there there is some research coming through now that's really finding great health benefits uh, for heart health for uh, in all sorts of ways uh, of having a natural menstrual cycle with the the cyclical, natural estrogen, natural progesterone, and the great benefits of this. But we're only just starting to research this.
1: So let's talk about what some of the issues are. Like what's so wrong with the pill, Jane?
0: Yes, great. So let's think about if we use the term the pill as an umbrella term. So, you know, I I won't keep saying and other forms of uh, hormonal contraception. So what's so wrong with it? Uh, the, the hormones that are in the pill, Are synthetic. They're not exact replicas of our own naturally produced hormones. Uh, They're not as gentle, they're not as rhythmic, and they have they have effects on us in all kinds of ways. The hormones we will have, there's lots and lots of side effects from directly from the hormones themselves. It affects our nutritional uptake. Many women experience much more headaches and migraines. It's very common that women experience a great loss of libido and i just want to stay on that point for a minute libido is not just whether i'm interested in sex or not it also is connected to our spark our sense of excitement in, in life and creativity and so on. Mm-hmm. So if you think of um, girls going on the pill and very often girls who go to a doctor for anything, any menstrual problems or some acne or pimples or irregularity or heavy periods, uh, really the, the tool that doctors have is the pill or hormonal contraception. So at least 50% of women go on the pill as a girl before they need it for contraception for therapeutic reasons and interestingly this wasn't the original purpose of the pill it's just become used in that way Uh, so girls go on you know as young as 12 really and often you know you'll find a majority of a class might be on it by 15 or 16 and so if you think of that, that age of ourselves being that age going on the pill finding that it affects mood libido and and a whole lot of other things, we're not even adults yet. We don't even know ourselves as adults. So we come into adulthood, in many cases, still using these hormones, not knowing the effect that it's having on, on us not knowing that it's the cause of our you know depression our moods in in many ways it's very hard to sort of separate these things out with oh well this is how i am and uh, certainly loss of libido is a huge side effect there are there are really long lists of side effects
1: you say the pill alters at least 150 bodily functions and affects all of your organs that's amazing can you speak to that
0: hormones are are tiny very very powerful molecules and they're messengers and so they don't just target one place in our body they are traveling around our body and when we have an, a natural menstrual cycle it's it's influencing all our organs so and we know this through research the changes that happen in skin tone in hair in eyes in urine in blood Uh, and all our organs change also with a natural uh, hormonal cycle but when we take the pill it also changes all these things but in a in an artificial way and in a way that can create a lot of health problems for us if not immediately often over time because if you think about it most women that are going to take the pill start while they're still teenagers. I think it's about 80% start before they turn 20. And at that stage of our life, we're often at our healthiest, at our fittest. Uh, we, we may not notice, some do, but not everyone noticed a, notices immediate side effects from the pill. But these start to accumulate so that the health issues that we might be experiencing at 25, at 30 we may not realize are exacerbated or are caused by the pill, but they are. And a lot of women I've spoken to might go off the pill after being on it for 15 or 20 years and suddenly realize that all sorts of health issues that they thought was just them, that they thought was just naturally their makeup, like immune system problems, even even pre-onset diabetes, depression Uh, having no libido having headaches and migraines all sorts of things suddenly they're off the pill and oh voila they uh they, they all start to disappear it's actually very sad
1: well, let's talk about the link to depression. That surprised me. You cite some research where you say that people, that, that this study found that women taking the pill were almost twice as likely to be depressed compared to those not on the pill. And I know depression is very prevalent amongst the female population. So that's a big number. Mm-hmm. Women on the pill were almost twice as likely to be depressed. Do you have any idea why or is it in general because we're messing with our hormonal balance? balance our, hormonal, our natural hormonal state?
0: Well, it certainly is because we're messing with our natural hormonal state. And research has given us some very, very specific clues to this. And one is that Uh, Women also produce testosterone, uh, not as much as men and in a different balance, but we also produce testosterone. Mm -hmm. And testosterone levels have a lot to do with mood and uh, a tendency toward depression. Uh, We find when people have either extra high or extra low, this is women, uh, testosterone, they are certainly prone to depression. One of the things that the pill does is that it, uh, it, takes out testosterone from our system at much higher levels than than normal. Uh, And this effect is about seven times as high for women on the pill compared to a woman who has never been on the pill. And even if a woman uh, stopped taking the pill, say 12 months ago, it's still four times higher than in a woman who has never taken the pill. So it can be in some cases that taking the pill and even giving and even stopping taking the pill may have long-term effects that really never allow that balance in some women to come back to a normal natural l- level of testosterone.
1: Well, and we can talk even more about why because you you've already articulated that that one of the major side effects of the pill is hormonal. So obviously the effects that are introduced when you introduce excuse me, the effects of introducing synthetic hormones through your system but another major side effect umbrella is the nutritional disturbances
0: right Jane absolutely and this is a this is a particularly insidious effect uh, the the synthetic hormones affect our gut and uh, I'm sure you've spoken before on your show about the the you know, huge importance of gut health. Yeah. Yeah, so the the, uh, processing of these uh, synthetic hormones do affect our gut health uh, and our capacity to uptake uh, nutrition from the gut. So over time, this has a cumulative effect if the pill is taken by let's say a 16 year old girl and she's in she's in great health she's young she's you know uh, got a good diet at home she's fit and healthy you won't see immediate effects of this nutritional impact but it will add up over time no matter how good her nutrition is. She can she can try to compensate, but because it's affecting the actual capacity to absorb nutrition, uh, it can't be compensated for fully. And therefore, over time, let's say she takes the pill for 10 or 15 years, there there will be uh, nutritional imbalance and certain factors, for instance, zinc, uh, B vitamins will become very low, no matter what she's trying to do uh, in terms of her diet or supplementation.
1: Yeah, this was news to me, I have to say. You point out that the B vitamins, vitamin C, uh, folic acid, and there are a couple of more, and then on the mineral side of things, you talk about how long-term use of the pill can create deficiencies in magnesium, one of the most essential minerals. We're already deficient as a population in magnesium, and long-term use of the pill renders you further deficient in magnesium potassium copper zinc and selenium i mean these are essential minerals that we already know that most of us are
0: suffering a deficiency in absolutely and of course over time that just that just will increase Uh, and therefore other you know we may not be aware of oh i'm low in magnesium but what we do find is that we do start to have uh troubling symptoms around that and, and most people
1: aren't tying it back to the pill because frankly, it wouldn't occur to us to do so. But then to go back to say depression, for example, and you mention other things, you, you talk about migraines and non-migraine headaches very often can be related to taking hormonal contraception, but depression, for example, I know that there's a link between depression and low vitamin B and low zinc levels. And yet how many people are connecting
0: that back to their birth control pill? Absolutely, and I think part of the problem is when we when we go to our health practitioners for contraception or for some therapy and treatment around menstrual cycle issues, and we're prescribed that pill, it is presented as completely safe. And very often, uh, girls and young women will be on the pill or some version of hormonal contraception, and. and, and not even be aware that actually it's a drug <laughs> that's having an effect. It's presented as so benign. Um, and really, when we see our health practitioners are, and are prescribed this, we are really trying to do the very best for our health, for the very best for our reproductive choice. And this is, this is great. This motivation is fantastic. Uh, what I really wanted to help create a little bit of balance is to provide the information that uh, girls and women really need to have before they make these choices, and I think if you think about it, you know we're we're fertile for 35 to 40 years of our life. For many of those years, we're needing contraception, and we're and and we're certainly needing to manage our menstrual cycle. I would really like to see much more education, self-help around managing any menstrual problems and also really becoming very literate in all the forms of contraception because we need to be our own experts. We, we, it's at least sort of half of our life uh, that, we, that we need to be aware of these things.
1: And I want to get into what some of our other options are, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about one of the big scares around the pill that people don't get a lot of information about, and that is the risk of increased cancer. You outline this very, very factually without without fear-mongering, so I appreciate that very much. But I'm just going to share some of the things that you and Alexandra have provided here. The first thing is, the good news is, is that if you take the pill, it has a protective effect against the risk of ovarian cancer. It actually lowers your risk of ovarian cancer. Now, Jane, guess which statistic is the only one, or the factoid, the only one that I heard from my doctor was that one
0: absolutely and and it is the one the one form of cancer that is reduced uh by taking the pill and that's because there's we don't ovulate while we're on the pill and uh the that ov- ovulation and, and ovarian activity can be part of what um what can trigger uh, ovarian cancer. But we also know that there are many things we can do health-wise, diet-wise, lifestyle-wise that can really mitigate our ovarian cancer risk. So it's interesting that the pill is presented, taking this drug is presented Mm -hmm. as this is the way to reduce that particular risk.
1: Not too many people are getting prescriptions for the pill in order to reduce their ovarian cancer risk. I do point it out because it is the one you'll hear about. In fact, when I asked my doctor about increased risk of breast cancer, she was like, oh, actually it lowers your risk of cancer. Um, blah, 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 blah. And so here are a couple things that weren't shared with me. And so now I'm going to share them with you. So the greatest risk, let's talk about breast cancer. For example, the greatest risk of breast cancer for women who have ever taken the pill is if they have a family history of breast, or ovarian cancer, if they took the pill before 1975, or before their first full-term pregnancy. Those are unrelated points. The pill is a very different concoction before 1975. So the bigger point here is that there's a greater risk of breast cancer if you start the pill before your first full-term pregnancy. Well, Jane, I'm no scientist, but I'm going to guess that let's say 90% of us take the pill before our first full-term pregnancy. Yeah,
0: well, I think that's probably... Right? (laughs) Most women who ever use hormonal contraception Look, it could be more than 90%. I'd say it's very, very high. If 80% of women who ever use it start before their 20th birthday, um, I think that's very likely.
1: <laughs> I mean, it increases your risk of liver cancer and cervical cancer, according to some studies. But here's the thing that actually got me a little riled up, Jane. Um, who and by who I mean the World Health Organization. They have a cancer research group. It's called the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And in July of 2005, in July of 2005, who said it had reclassified the pill from quote possibly carcinogenic to humans? That's one of their categories to carcinogenic to humans. So they reclassified it and they moved it on over from the possible carcinogen carcinogen, to, yes, carcinogenic to humans. I didn't read about this, Jane. I didn't see the headlines. (laughs) Why is this news to me?
0: Well, I think because there weren't any headlines, uh, I have noticed over the years, whenever there are any big announcements about the pill or new research or or the the WHO um, change of status that you just mentioned, if it gets into the paper, it tends to be once on page six or something, some somewhere like that. And I've always noticed with, with some irony that the very next day, there will be an expert and usually the same small group of experts who say, oh, yes, but don't stop your pill, you know, talk to your <laughs> doctor. And also, it's better than falling pregnant, or it's better than whatever. So it's really i mean this will sound very cynical and um but truly there is enormous revenue made by pharmaceutical companies with these hormones if you can get someone starting to use a a particular drug that they use every day for decades of their life uh this is a gold mine and uh, so it's really worth their while having people watch out for anything that comes out and and just pour cold water on it as soon as it does
1: They have officially classified the pill. They've put it in the same category as tobacco and asbestos, just to put that into perspective for us. And to your point, I never read about it. Ironically, the World Health Organization just made a similar headline. They classified processed meats as carcinogenic to humans. The exact same transition from possibly carcinogenic to carcinogenic to humans. And it was all... Over the internet, I mean, all over the internet. And then I'm reading your um, I'm reading your book, and I'm just like, you know, I'm, how is this possible? How do I not know this? The reason we're doing this show is not because everybody should run out and drop the pill immediately. In fact, you talk in your book about how there's certain types of pills that if you're on them, you shouldn't stop them immediately. So uh, there's a difference between the combination pill and the mini pill. For those of you who care, you can uh, read about that. But at the end of the day, I just think we need the information. We're adults. We can make decisions based on our lifestyle and based on what we want, but we have to have the information in order
0: to come to our own conclusions. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think uh, it really begs the question, this really begs the question of how are we viewing women's capacity to make their own choices? Why are we not Giving them the full picture, and it and it does really seem to be something of a um, a view of women, as as I think you said earlier, of really not not being able to be responsible for their own choices. It's like, well, we just need to get as many of you on this hormonal contraception as possible and uh, and reduce a sort of unplanned pregnancy and so on, um, without really allowing women to have the information, to make the best choice for themselves. And that that can include the pill, but to make the best choice uh, at various, at all these different points in their reproductive journey, so that uh, for their for their health, for their uh, for their capacity to to have effective contraception, for their relationship, and so on.
1: We will spend the next bit talking about what our options are, but I want to summarize this first chapter, if you will, with an email that I received from a reader, and I have her permission to share it with you all. This sums up why we are uh, trying to get some more of this information out to you. So this is what Kim says. I told her that I was interviewing you, Jane, because she was one of the people that asked for an expert on this topic, and she said, I'm really looking forward to this episode. For a while, I've been dealing with a random variety of health issues hair loss, getting sick after consuming certain things, low nutrient levels, et cetera. I've seen a number of doctors, gastros, nutritionists, dermatologists, et cetera, and they all did things like put me on antibiotics, blame my genetics, suggested gallbladder removal, et cetera, et cetera. Something about this seemed off. So I finally bought the bullet, (laughs) bit the bullet, I think, (laughs) and paid to see an ND, that's a naturopathic physician, a naturopathic doctor, ND, paid to see an nd a few months ago she points that out because uh, most people at least in the states you have to pay out of pocket for an nd and you don't typically have to pay much more than 15 or 25 dollars to see an md a medical doctor so that's why she's making that point and that's what keeps many 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 of us away from going to see a naturopath anyway i continue with kim's letter Totally changed my life because instead of treating symptoms, she ran genetic hormonal and food intolerance testing, which concluded that I have methylation issues, a hormonal imbalance thanks to birth control and gut inflammation and a leaky gut. So I've been cutting dairy, gluten, soy, etc. at least for the time being. I feel like there are many people in my case that don't even know that there are things internally wrong because there aren't glaring signs on the outside. I am a slim, 28-year-old female who seems relatively healthy. Aside from the thinning hair, I would have had no way to know that birth control was messing up my hormones, especially because my primary care physician put me on them in the first place. It never would have occurred to me. I would have had no way to know. I have a mutated enzyme causing methylation issues, which can lead to long-term illness, and I would have had no way to know that gluten, dairy, soy, etc., were wreaking havoc on my body because there were really minimal to no external symptoms To let me know. It's pretty crazy that none of the five plus doctors that I saw prior to the ND had thought to do any sort of hormonal, genetic, or food intolerance testing. Like, incredibly crazy and scary, actually. And then she goes on to say, Thanks to resources like yours over the last several years I've come to learn that when something is off with my body there are ways to figure it out and treat the root cause rather than treating or having to live with the symptoms so I want to say a giant thank you because with each episode I'm learning something more something regular doctors don't tell you and although my journey back to health is still at the earlier stages I have tools and knowledge to figure out how to treat root causes rather than put band-aids on symptoms thank you and then she goes on to say some very kind things but my point is this well, I think she makes her point actually quite well, Jane. I don't really need to elaborate on it, but isn't that the story of so many women?
0: Absolutely, and, and it's such a beautiful letter. And I, I do think... I really like what what she's what her journey has become is really learning and, and taking uh, responsibility for becoming her own expert. Not that she doesn't then go to someone like a naturopathic doctor to get to get more information to get that very specific care, but really to take that responsibility to take on uh, understanding and working with her own health. Uh, and I, I really commend her for that uh, that really not always easy journey that. she She's on.
1: No kidding. And Kim represents a lot of other women out there. So thank you, Kim. Let's talk about how we can take a little bit more control and understand what some of our additional options may be that are worth our consideration. And I will say, Jane, I hope you understand that I say this with all due respect. I think some of the things that we're about to talk about are uncomfortable for some people. And I know that must be odd to you because you're so evolved and you're so in this and you've been doing this for decades. But I think some of us are like, you want me to measure my mucus like what I mean we hear the word mucus and you know it causes a little bit of a feral response and I just I hope you'll humor me and allow me to represent the everyman here (laughs) as you walk us through some of our options and just help us understand that this is like this is primally us this is how women have been empowered and taking care of themselves for literally hundreds of years before big pharmaceuticals told us how to do it differently right you can shame me in front of everybody it's okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, absolutely and and i do confess i am i am very comfortable with these things because i I have been working with them for for decades of my life and i'll just uh preface this part of our conversation by mentioning some recent research in australia that found that uh a huge difference between girls who are introduced To menarche, meaning first period, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in a positive, thoughtful, informed way, or girls who are introduced in a way that's very very lacking in those things so very little information no acknowledgement or or even you know someone saying hey great you know you're you're healthy congratulations you got your period or anything like that so they found that there's there's significant ongoing differences between those two groups so one of them is that it that, that's fascinating uh for girls who have had a a negative or you know in or more of a vacuum like minimal information about menstruation uh, introduction, go on to have worse birth experiences well that makes sense doesn't it yeah so girls who are introduced to this as a positive healthy um journey uh not not in a pollyanna way in a way that can still include yes there are menstrual problems uh, and and these are health problems and there are ways that we can work with these so it doesn't have to be all pretending it's something that it's not uh that as you mentioned earlier it can still have its inconvenience it can still have a mess and fuss about it but if we understand the, the fullness of this experience and that it's healthy and positive overall, uh, this helps girls who become young women have a more healthy, uh, engaged relationship with their, with their body as a whole so that when they go on later to make uh, choices about sexual relationships, uh, to, make, uh, to, to give birth, they are more connected with, with, with that whole process.
1: You make a wonderful point here because even those of us who are not in our 20s anymore, but are raising the next generation, perhaps this can inspire us to raise them with a different mindset um, and so that they can take more control of, of their choices and so that they can be more aware than than frankly we were. When I got to the, if not the pill, then what chapters, I, I was like, oh, I really didn't realize there were so many options out there. And and you go through some, and you talk about the barrier methods, which include condoms and diaphragms and cervical caps. And you explain them in a way that's very, very accessible. You talk about the use of spermicides, which typically are more effective when used with barrier method or something of that nature. But then you go into, you discuss IUDs and the pros and cons there. And then of course you always have the option for um, sterilization, which is a vasectomy or having your fallopian tubes cut. But we're going to focus on people who are looking for non-permanent contraception right now. And what you deep dive into that I think people want to hear the most about today is natural contraception methods. So that's where I'd like to spend a little bit of time.
0: Sure. Uh, natural contraception methods. A, a lot of people might, if they haven't really bumped into them or read much or heard much about them, they might might see them as, oh, that might that's the rhythm method, and which is notoriously uh, ineffective. It has a, a, a effectiveness rate as low as thirty percent. So it's not. A, no one would recommend that to you, I hope. <laughs> Whereas these days, the modern uh, fertility awareness methods. Uh, have been researched and are very very effective. If you if you are taught by someone who is well trained in them, or come across a method that's that's well presented, and you obviously you follow that. Uh, I've been working with this uh, these methods personally and also professionally since my mid twenties, which was a few decades ago. And every time a woman uh, and a couple really, but every time a woman learns these methods. I had, there's a very similar response and part of that response is why wasn't I given this information earlier? you know, it's, and this was my response as well. And often even with anger, this is so useful. It is so great to be able to understand where I am in my cycle, what's happening in my body, in my emotions, uh, within this cycle. It is so empowering for us personally, for our relationships, for managing our sexual expression, that it's, um, It would seem to me i would use the word it's a it's a right it's really something we we need to know at this point in time there are there are some very passionate women very skilled women uh, and organizations who are teaching these methods uh, but we don't have the the kind of budget that um, uh, that pharmaceutical companies have for instance so it's it's not as uh, well known by any means Uh, but they really are immensely effective. And I would really encourage women uh, who are fertile, who are cycling, to learn these methods, whether you're going to use them exclusively for contraception or not, because they provide a really wonderful ground on which to make other choices. So, for instance, if, um, if you learn fertility awareness methods and chart your cycle for, you know, let's say three to six months, Maybe longer, um, and that means every day checking on certain symptoms. And there's two particular symptoms that we are, that we have found are really effective for uh, very precisely getting to know when ovulation happens, which is which is of course the key. Women are not fertile all the time. There's only a very small window of time when we can actually conceive. And we need to to really pinpoint when that is. And then we can see there are whole swathes of time in our cycle where we're we're infertile. And uh, we can then choose to use this time as we wish.
1: I want to break these down. You you present five in the book, but before we do that, I want to point out the irony here. The pill, the massive use of the pill is actually tied to some of our Infertility issues as populations. So, the massive use of the pill over such a long time is, in layman's terms, actually causing infertility at higher rates than we've ever seen before. It's one of the factors. There are many others, but there is, many people will argue, and research will as well, there is a direct correlation between long term pill use and fertility issues. In other words, infertility issues. Now, that's terribly ironic. But w- the good news here is that there's so much more awareness of fertility management now than there was, say, 20 years ago, Jane. I mean, people understa- are starting to hear more about taking your temperature and charting things and using apps to chart your fertility and that sort of thing. It's much more in the public consciousness than it was for all the wrong reasons but much more on the public consciousness than it was say 20 years ago so that can that will help i think i think we'll find that that will eventually help bring contraception natural contraception to the forefront much in the same way that it's happening right now for fertility. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, your, your point about the effect of hormonal contraception on fertility is, is very important. And if we think about you know, the range of girls who start to take the pill, uh, some have very strong uh, reproductive health, uh, some, unbeknownst to them and their doctor, have maybe have more uh, vulnerable reproductive health. So if both, if two girls in both those situations are on the pill for ten years and they both go off the pill to try to conceive, then uh, the one who has started off with a very strong reproductive health, her her uh, ovulation, her fertility may bounce back. Uh, quite quickly. Uh, The one who already was vulnerable may find it takes a lot longer to start to ovulate again. And in some cases, it just doesn't kick off. Uh, There's there's many other effects of the pill that can impact uh, our fertility. For instance, taking the pill long-term affects the cervix and the cervix produces uh, cervical mucus that helps to support the sperm and helps, helps, to, um, helps it travel through the reproductive organs. If that cervix is damaged, it's not able to produce the same quality of mucus, and that can be a factor that lowers fertility. That's just one factor, but many, many parts of the whole system can be affected by long-term use of the pill.
1: Coming back to what our options are, you said there are really two primary symptoms or day-to-day, I'm not sure what the correct word is, Jane, but day-to-day things that we should be paying attention to. Talk us through that.
0: Sure. Um, And really, either of these symptoms, excuse me, (coughs) either of these symptoms can be used uh, on their own, uh, but they work really well together. And one is basal temperature. Basal means uh, at rest body temperature. When we go into the uh, second half of our cycle after ovulation, our temperature goes up several tenths of a degree. And this is because we're producing more progesterone and progesterone lifts our, lift, lifts our temperature. So uh, if we chart our temperature every day of the cycle, uh, we, are, uh, we are able to see a very distinct two-phase chart with a sort of a lower temperature up to ovulation and then a higher temperature after ovulation just coming down before menstruation. Sometimes women m- might have a cycle where they're menstruating but they're not ovulating and they will have just a, a single line that just goes up and down a little bit but it doesn't have these two phases. Uh, for women who use uh, natural birth control, uh, use these fertility awareness methods, The way that we recommend it at Natural Fertility Management is to spend some months charting the temperature, but it's not something you need to do forever. Some people like to do it forever, but the main point is that it will show you what that looks like for you, what those particular patterns look like for you. The the core symptom that we want to chart and get to know is our cervical mucus. And this is checking the mucus. We don't have to reach up to our cervix, uh, but it's checking our mucus um, at the mouth of the vagina every day and describing it to ourselves. And there's, there's as you can imagine, there's quite uh, specific instructions around how to how to do this and how to chart mm-hmm. it, but basically for our purposes, it's it's checking it and describing it to ourselves. And I'm sure all your women listeners will be aware, even if they've never charted, they'll be aware of differences in the mucus at different stages of their cycles. So we do have a a peak mucus. In, it's clearer. There's more volume. It's more uh, more profuse, more watery, and even kind of a bit. It can be a bit like a raw egg white for for many of us the day before we ovulate it peaks and for some women it's the day after that Yes, so we get to know when that is by by combining the information that we have from our temperature and the information we have from charting our uh, mucus changes every day and over several months this picture starts to become very clear so that we become aware what my, say in my case what my particular mucus will look like when I move from the infertile phase to the fertile phase and it's very important to know that uh when we move to the to the fertile phase this may be on average around three days before we ovulate where we have more fertile mucus and it's designed we have to remember nature is uh is designed to for us to uh, be pregnant as much as possible. Um, And we only get to counteract that when we understand all these signs and symptoms. So a few days before we ovulate, we will have, uh, on average, um, we will notice a change in mucus that we would call fertile mucus. This mucus will support sperm uh, to stay alive, to be ready for uh, an egg. So we need to know before that time, not just, oh, I've ovulated today, because if, we have, if we're wanting to use these methods for contraception and we have um, healthy live sperm uh, already waiting in the fallopian tube, it's not going to work very well. <laughs> so uh, we need to know before that time. And uh, so that when the, when the egg uh, is released from the ovary and starts to travel down the fallopian tube, that we, we've already prepared for that by not having unprotected sex in uh, the several days before that time.
1: So you're making an important point here, and that is that a lot of women who right now, bear in mind, pop a pill, and that takes care of all of this for them, (laughs) that we're asking them to consider switching from that convenience to doing something that sounds you know, a little bit intensive for a short period of time, how do you guide women in that transition? Or do you simply just have to wait until the woman is ready, is just fed up or has health issues? How do you help a woman who's who just isn't having any known trouble on the pill, but understands that it's probably not great for her over the long term? How do you help her transition
0: to something like this, Jane? very good question <laughs> and of course it depends on the individual and and their particular interest and their particular willingness to to try these methods i would say you know, given again, as I mentioned before, you know, we are fertile for so many years of our life and it's it's very curious that we're not encouraged to understand and work with our fertility uh, with more awareness and more knowledge and more information. So um, really what fertility awareness about is really helping us have this knowledge, helping us understand our bodies, which can be useful for so many things, not even, not even just for contra- conceiving, mm-hmm. Or not conceiving it also can be very useful just to understand our cycle from a health point of view from an emotional point of view from a planning point of view um, and and in terms of understanding ourselves and our relationships it really has benefits uh, in so many ways i just want to add something to uh, what i was saying earlier about charting and mucus um, in the natural fertility management methods, what there's a sort of, a, as you said, a fairly intensive learning period that does involve charting every day, which, let's face it, is, just takes a few minutes however the way we teach is that it's not necessary to do that indefinitely once a woman has a good understanding of her own cycle that through this charting then uh, it's no longer necessary to uh, either either use an app or, or write it all down it's really just by checking her mucus uh, every day just when she goes to the toilet uh, and knowing okay that's where I'm at I'm I'm I know I'm on day 10 of my cycle or I'm day 13 um, and I'm getting this Sort of mucus. That, that looks right. I think I'm going to ovulate in, in a couple of days. It really becomes as simple as second nature. We learn to have a, a very clear awareness about our fertility.
1: I would love, when you were when you were describing that picture, I was thinking, gosh, it would be lovely to just let my husband and son know on my chart, just be like, okay, tomorrow I will be the devil. Just do not listen to a word I say. I will eat everything that's in the house. Just get out of my way. Like that's what that chart would reveal to me.
0: <laughs> and it might also be revealed to them. That's the time to get the washing in off the lawn, to say, you go and have a long bath and I'll, I'll clean up. You know, there are, there are times that that will pay off So much more for them than at other That's right. I
1: won't share my chart with them, but there could be maybe a calendar in the kitchen that I just draw like a pair of red horns and a tail on, and they know that that will be do all the chores in the house day for mom. So I love it. I love this idea. Okay. (laughs) All right. The other thing that you mentioned, that and you've said it well, and I just want to say it one more time because we're addicted to convenience these days, is that you are not talking about A labor intensive process every day of your life for the rest of your life. And frankly, it's not even labor intensive. You're talking about taking your temperature when you wake up in the morning and checking your mucus when you actually use the restroom. Am am I right? Absolutely. Okay. So we're not talking about a half hour added to your day here. No. No. And the last point that I'd like you to elaborate on here is one very key question for everybody.
0: Does it work? Well, research tells us that it does. There was a really, really great study that came out of Germany some years ago. I think it was released in uh, 2008 off the top of my head that involved uh, 900 women over a 10-year period. So it was a significant study using the mucus and temperature methods and found that it had a 99% effectiveness rate. And, and that's really as good as anything you'll get other than permanent sterilization.
1: Right, I found the statistics fascinating and especially when you compare it to use of the pill or hormonal contraception, the failure rates in the real world are much higher for the hormonal contraception than with a well-performed natural contraception. I found that rather interesting.
0: Yes, and, and I think that uh, that really begs the question that it's one thing just to to have this idea of convenience. I don't have to think about it. I'll just take this pill. Or I'll have this a hormone in my arm. But when we really break that down a little bit, uh, we see that having. Understanding and engaging personally with our and understanding our contraceptions and having choices means that we're we're much more able to have the higher level of effectiveness of whatever we're choosing at that time. the The real important factor does really come down to us, and uh, with not a lot of effort, we can become far more expert and far more switched on about our forms of contraception and our choices, and this will give us the best result in terms of effectiveness rate, but also in terms of our health, in terms of our relationship, in terms of our sexual expression.
1: Jane, thank you so much for your expertise, for your willingness to share, and thank you so much for just what you're doing to help empower women truly and help us understand really and truly what our options are. So you are you are performing a great service and I thank you for that.
0: Oh, absolutely, my pleasure. As you, as you can probably hear, I'm pretty passionate about it.
1: What is one habit you would like us to practice for one week?
0: Okay, one habit. Uh, is for women who are cycling, who have a natural cycle, is to be aware and note either uh, in their calendar or in their diary or in their uh, diary app what day of their cycle they're on. And what I mean by this is that if we count uh, day one of the cycle as the first day of uh, flow of blood, so not spotting, so flow of menstrual blood as day one, just to note down somewhere Uh, what day of the cycle you're on this will really help promote a sense of menstrual cycle awareness
1: Okay. okay interesting interesting what's one resource that you want to recommend to us that you love
0: uh, I think a lot of women these days are using apps to track their cycle, and I think this is a great development because the the, the, the phone or the device is right there, and uh, it does make it more immediate. My current favorite app is Clue C L U uh, E. I think it's a really great app, and uh, it does. You can track uh, all sorts of things there. You can certainly track mucus and temperature, and it's got a lot of great information about different stages of the cycle
1: okay clue
0: clue yes
1: okay fantastic yes and a lot of them in the app store are actually under fertility tracking so just a little logistics tip for everybody they're under fertility tracking because of course it's the same factors so even though many of you might be looking For contraception, the fertility tracking provides the same benefit. So that's how you want to look for it, as though you were looking for a fertility tracker. And honestly, just knowing where you are in the cycle is so powerful for lots of other reasons, like the one I mentioned about getting your husband to do all of the chores and feed you chocolate. (laughs)
0: absolutely (laughs) all right
1: when we post this show on onairwithella.com and you can search just by Jane or by the episode number and all of this information will pop up I will share with you the links to her important books and also some of the other resources that Jane has mentioned so Jane I just want to thank you again for coming on the show and thank you keep doing what you're
0: doing thanks Ella it's been my great pleasure I'm honored thank you Jane thank you